Hi, this is Tiger Lily, and you're listening to 10th House, a podcast where we interview rising music stars and share their stories and insights on how to make it in the modern music industry. Oh, hello. Hi, everyone. This is Nico. I'm your host today with 10th House. Um, I'm here with Dave Cezino, also known as Dead Air Dave. It's true. I'm here. <laughs> and and so, I go by, uh, I go by both names. <laughs> I'd love to hear about your journey thus far and um, how you previously worked in radio. And now you're uh, at promo with a company called UNCLE, which is Underground Network Committed to a Lifetime of Entertainment. Man, you've done uh, before your we get into that, I'd yeah. like to hear in your own words, like how this story sort of began. Sure. Uh, you know, I was going to college and uh, working in restaurants like everybody else. And, and, and I always loved music and radio. And uh, I thought, oh, well, you know, I could get like a part time job at radio to work my way through college. Why, why work at a restaurant? Because I had no <laughs> idea how like unbelievably cutthroat and competitive the world of radio was. I just thought I'd walk in there and say, hey, I like music. Why don't you like give me a weekend job? Hire me. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm so qualified. <laughs> you should see all the records I have at home. Um, and, you know, that was pretty much how I was treated. I was basically laughed out of the building or I had a lot of bl uh, smoke blown up my ass in that um, depending on who the program director was at the time, they'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, kid. Why don't you um, bring me your, your tape and resume? I had no idea what a tape and resume was. So I poked around and figured out I had to find a way to make a demo tape. Um, and some guy told me, yeah, you know, it's like you hear the end of the song play and, and then the jock comes on and does their break and then the next song starts and then it, it clips to the end of the you know next song. What I later learned is called a scoped air check. But I faked it in my apartment. I set up a tape recorder and played the end of a, of a song and held a microphone to the speaker. And when the song ended, I started talking into the mic. And then I started another song and talked up into that and then corded that and cut it off and faked an air check. And so that was like something common uh, into like to bring into interviews like that. Yes. Tape. And these days you'll find if there are listings online for radio station uh, positions open, they'll ask for your, you know, your digital kit. You know, no one's sending tape you know, cassettes and reels or anything like that. Um, but they still want a, a, a scoped air check of what you sound like and what you do on the air. So I faked that thing. I took it back to the station, gave it to the program director. And now knowing what I know from years of being a program director and such, that that tape went into a box and uh, he gave it to somebody on his staff to use to air check themselves. They probably never, <laughs> ever listened to it. Yeah. <laughs> but So one day, dejected, leaving the place. Oh, yeah. Then I went in one time and a new program director had been hired. And he basically said to me, oh, that other guy's just, you know, toying with you, man. He's like, come over here and look. He goes, I have boxes of air checks. People with real experience looking for jobs. Why would I hire a kid like you? You have nothing to offer me. And I thought, well, thanks for the honesty and you know, reality check. And as I was leaving the station, the owner of the station was standing out front and he stopped me and said, hey, I see you coming in here a lot. What's the story? And I tell him. And he said, well, if you go to the university, 
why don't you just sign up to be on the college radio station? And I said, well, I'm, I'm not even a broadcast major. I'm an art major. I don't think I can do that. And he's like, yeah, it's a lab class. Anybody can take it if you want. And I went back, did that, was on the air at the radio station at the college, just as it signed on to FM. Prior to that, for years and years, it had been what they call carrier current. Where basically, yeah, I've never even heard of that. <laughs> yeah, it, basically what they do is they run cable through like the dorms and buildings in the school and it's connected to the radio station and the signal radiates off of that cable. And so if your radio is close enough to it, it picks up. But if you're off campus or too yeah, far away from it, it doesn't gonna... pick up. So it was really, it was radio that you heard only on the campus. But they had just finally... Uh, earned their FCC license about the time I started there. So I went on right as the station was going FM. There was a huge push and you know, we promoted the radio station now being on FM. It was a big deal. And in town, there was a music magazine and every year they did the best of in town and it was all readers voting. Hmm. And they had, you know, best new radio station, best radio personality. And the college students went on a rampage and they stuffed the ballot boxes. Everybody got a hold of that paper and voted. And the college radio station won favorite radio station in town. And I somehow won favorite radio personality. Oh, that's a great little thing to put on there. And the, and the, the second place, guys, after me was the morning show from the station that laughed me out the door two years earlier. And um, they contacted me and offered me a job from that. And that was uh, when you graduated college? Yeah. Okay. So right out of college, you started working for them then? More or less. I had a couple of other jobs, but they, it was because of that winning that ridiculous reader's poll that they came back and offered me a job. So in two years from laughing me out the door, they came and offered me a job. So that was pretty sweet. <laughs> Full 180. <laughs> Yeah, so I ended up working at that station for eight years. And in the course I was there, I started as a weekender. Uh, I became the uh, production director and did all the imaging and commercial production. Um, I was the in-house art department for all of the T-shirts and billboards and posters that we did. Um, and then I ended up ultimately um, being part of the morning show there. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then from there, like true radio... Um, Things change, formats flip, you get bounced around, you move from one station to another. And I eventually made the move to uh, Phoenix, Arizona, which was is the biggest market I worked in, major market for radio in my career. And I was there for uh, 16 years. And in the time I was there, I worked for one, two, four, five different radio stations. Um, sometimes simultaneously, because I worked mainly at a music station, but um, we had a sports talk station uh, in our cluster there. And the midday guy was like a walking sports encyclopedia. He knew yeah, everything knew about everything. sports, but he was really very kind of dry. And the program director there said, hey, I hear that stuff you do on that ridiculous rock station you work for. Why don't you come on with the midday guy once a week and do your take on sports or just liven up his show a little bit? 
So that midday guy and I were pretty good friends. And so we talked about it. He loved the idea. So every Friday I would go on at noon on his show and I know nothing about sports. Yeah. yeah, You're just there to crack some jokes and stuff. And so we called it the dead air Dave's sports from way out in left field. And I would come on and I would read the sports pages or I knew enough about sports just to be dangerous, you know, and I would do uh, an hour with him, my take on sports, and he'd have to spend the whole time correcting me because I would be so wrong. But it was ridiculous <laughs> and it was pretty funny. That's a good dynamic. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, like there would be times when there would be like a, a big game coming up. You know, who do I think is going to, you know, win the game? And I always said I picked uh, I picked games according to mascots. So I'd be like, yeah, like okay, so mascot would be yeah, the, the other the, one. The, t- the Tigers are uh, the Tigers are are uh, taking on the uh, Dolphins this week. Who who's going to win? Yeah, you know, Dolphins are fast, but I think if a, if a Tiger could jump onto the Dolphin, <laughs> oh, he will easily kill that Dolphin. And so I picked the Tigers, and you know that's how stupid it was. Um, also, we had. Um, a female uh, sports reporter who would go out on, on location and interview, uh, you know, different athletes with a, with a tape recorder. Charles mm-hmm. Barkley was on the Suns at that time, and he loved her because she was the only female reporter amongst this pool of dopey guys. And so he would almost always call her up or answer all her questions, or he'd have her step up on the, on the stage with him and stand next to him while he's doing his press conference. And then he would look at her and then comment about how stupid the other guys were. So she would bring back, she would bring back this this tape. She would cut it up. She'd cut it up and and yeah, she would use her, you know, straight stuff for uh, her, her reports. And then she'd give me the tape and I would cut out all these outtakes of Charles. And Charles is, you know, outrageous, the things he would say. And I made it sound like I was interviewing him. <laughs> I would, I would throw like locker room background sound effects and uh, cut it up, and um, and then I would ask him ridiculous questions, and he would give me ridiculous answers because I would just make it up. Like one time, I'll give you. I don't want this to go on too long, but I'll give you one time an example. Um, all these guys are talking to him, asking him questions, and um, and in walks. A uh, apparently a, a black reporter and two female reporters. And in the middle of the conference, Charles just stops and says, oh, my God, look at that, a black reporter and two women. Well, I, I take that clip and I say, Charles, after a rough game, you want to go home and relax. Maybe you'd like to enjoy some adult entertainment while you're relaxing at home after a tough game. What is your favorite scene in an adult film? Oh my God, a black reporter and two women. And <laughs> oh my. And you never got in trouble for doing that? No, because um, one, he's a public figure. Two, it's presented on the air completely uh, as comedy. Okay. And, and there's like, because again, I would air this on, on that show with the, with the very straight laced midday host, and he would always question me. Dave, I'm not really sure you spoke to Charles Barkley. I said, you know, you heard it. It's right there on tape. And he'd say, mm, yeah, uh-huh, sure. You know, he would always throw doubt in there. So there was nobody listening ever thought. Yeah, and yeah. The fact, and the fact, 
you know, would we get in trouble that Charles would say something that ridiculous? No, because he said it all the time. He said, yeah, he didn't say it. <laughs> you know, he never, Charles Barkley never edited him himself. So, uh, yeah, so that was sort of the sort of stuff I did uh, on, on non-music stations. Uh, later on, uh, I ended up on the news talk station, KTAR in Phoenix, a well-regarded, very prestigious news talk station. And again, I, I came on as an entertainment correspondent for uh, the Afternoon Drive guy. And I would mm -hmm. do movie reviews and other, um, you know, uh, entertainment news, that kind of stuff. And I got to be as ridiculous as I wanted to because no one was really counting on me to give news. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, but eventually the program director there liked what I did enough that um, she made me the uh, first string fill-in host. So when somebody was gone for a day or a week or whatever, she would call me in to fill in. So I, I, I was still, I had my goofy, you know, bent on things, but I had to get it a little more straightened out. I couldn't be completely. And that was like KTAR? Yeah, it was KTAR, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, for about three years there, I was like their first string fill-in guy. So I was filling in for different hosts when they would take time off or whatever. Um, and I liked that. It was terrifying at first because... Uh, on music radio, we're taught, you know, you have to be able to get to your point or hit your punchline in 30 seconds, right? However long yeah. the intro of a song is, a lot of stations followed the concept of music never stops. So whatever you have to say, you have to be able to say it over the outro of one song and the intro of the next song. Yeah. Because we don't stop the music. Not all stations you know, adhere to that. Some give you more space to talk in between songs. But sometimes, depends on what the consultants are telling them. Mm -hmm. um, so I went from a format then where I was you know, training myself to, to really hit my mark as quickly as possible to suddenly realizing I had three hours of talking. Just yeah, talking. I would do so much research before each show. I would have like a dictionary filled with, you know, information and data and i'd go through all those pages and i would sit there in a cold sweat and think i'm going to burn through this in 45 minutes <laughs> then what am i going to do for the next two hours and 15 yeah um but it never happened you know? yeah and and you know you you uh you hook listeners to call in and then you have conversations with them and that takes time and fills time and builds content um but i quite often found that um, and I, this is what I believe about a lot of um, politically leaning talk show hosts, whether they're on TV or radio, is that um, first and foremost, uh, it's entertainment. Mm -hmm. This is not the yeah. hard news. These guys are not doing the hard news. This is news talk, which is talking about the news, but it's not reporting yeah. the news that's why they have the most animated voices ever to do and, it and i really believe that these guys don't necessarily believe the things they say because no. when when i was doing it i would read some hot news stories and i would no matter what i believed personally politically i would just pick the most outrageous position to take <laughs> because what i don't want is i don't want callers calling me up and saying dave that's a great point you're right because that's not entertaining. And in the world of radio, even stations that are about talk, you get the active minority, we call it. You know, mm -hmm. if, if a news talk station, if 10% of their listenership actively calls in, 
that's that's shooting high. Yeah. And for a music station where I'm taking calls from listeners, that's like maybe three percent of the total listening audience. Most people don't call to participate. Call on, yeah. They're listening for you to you for entertainment. So I would take these most ridiculous positions. And like I said, I don't want people calling in and saying, man, you're right. That makes perfect sense because that's not entertaining to those people who aren't calling. Instead, I want to take a position where people call in mad at me and tell me what a moron I am and argue <laughs> and argue with me. Because to the average listener, that's far more entertaining. Yeah. Disrupt people, shake them up, you know, piss them off. That's the idea. <laughs> you know, it's like if you if you ever saw uh, Howard Stern's movie Private Parts, you know, the program director hates him. Right. And he wants him off the station. And so he's going to the sales manager or the station manager and he says, well, we got research back. Right. What does it say? Well, it says that 30 um, percent of the people listen because they want to hear what he says next and they love him. And the guy and the program director says, well, what about the people who hate him? There must be people who hate him. Well, you're absolutely right. 62% of the people hate him. He's like, well, that's that's people. They More people hate him than like him. And the, 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 the program or the station manager says, yeah. And they listen longer than the people who like him. And the reason given, we want to hear what he'll say next. Same reason. Yeah, it's just enticing. That more hate him. And more, yeah, the thing uh, any personality or entertainer doesn't want uh, are people who just say uh, they're okay with him. They're not. Yeah. They're neither passionately for him nor are they passionately against him. You don't want people just being lukewarm and think you're eh, okay. I think that's the same thing goes for like musicians too. Like I know there's a lot of musicians where people are like, oh, I hate that musician, or they love him. But like people who are just like. Oh, they're all right. Like, yeah, they're never that good. You no, know? Right. They don't, they're not going to, they're casual listening. They're not going to make fans, you know? Yeah. And they're not going or to. Or diehard fans that you sort of need to sell your brand and everything that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I did that. So that was Phoenix, the Phoenix years, about 15 years or so. And in that time, I was also besides, I worked about every air shift. Mostly I've been on afternoon drive, which is my favorite position to be in. Uh, mornings, of course, are the, you know, the, the big dogs. But I like afternoon drive. I would basically I would do an, a morning show in the afternoon. And that way I can sleep in. <laughs> you can always tell them when you look at a picture of a radio staff, you can always tell the morning show host. He's the guy who looks the most tired. Oh, I, I, so I worked at WFUV and I worked uh, with Corny O'Connell. He's a morning show host. He's great. But this was the first time I was like, I have to wake up, you know, 445 <laughs> to work. <laughs> like, I don't know how he does that day in, day out. Well, because, often. because he has no life and doesn't do anything at night. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I love, that's why I loved afternoon drive. Um, because they expect you to have the same sort of content as a morning show, maybe more music driven, but still they want more content than just a guy back announcing and introing songs. But afternoon drive, I can stay out all night. I can go to every concert. I can go to every station event. I can be all over town and really immerse myself into what's happening in the market. Then go back mm -hmm. on the air the next day and talk about it, but still get a full night of sleep because I don't get up until yeah, I don't get up till 10. Yeah. I get up when the morning show guy's ending his show. 
And so I, the running off this, um, I introduced you as Dead Air Dave, and I know you were going by Dead Air Dave like right after college. When did that name really come about, and when, <laughs> when did it stick? Well, the uh, the the unofficial rule of thumb in radio is you don't give yourself your own on air name; someone has to give it to you. And so I did my first radio show at the college station, and. I was working at a restaurant and the next night I go to work at the restaurant and this guy I worked with said, Hey man, um, how was your show? I didn't get to hear it. I said, Oh, it sucked. I mean, every song ended before I got the next one ready. It was like every song was 30 seconds long. I just, I couldn't do it fast enough. I didn't have the timing. So there was nothing but dead air between every song. And he laughed at me and said, you know, I guess that makes you dead air, Dave. And I thought, <laughs> Yeah, actually, it does. <laughs> it's really good. And, and that was, was in college. Yeah, and it was a great name. I mean, people remember it. It's hooky. And uh, plus, it always gave me an out. Anytime I screwed things up at the station, I could just yeah. come on and say, living up to my name. Everyone else has to make up an excuse. I was just like, eh, just being dead air. <laughs> and uh, so that's what happened there. And uh, it was funny years later. And I'd, you know, been doing it a long time and it was pretty well known in the market. Uh, I ran into that guy at a, a restaurant and he grabbed me and pulled me over. Like it had been so many years. He found me and he's like, dude, you remember me? I'm like, sure, I remember you. And he grabs me and drags me over to his table where all his friends were. And he goes, all right, you guys know who this is. It's Dead Air Dave. And they're all like, yeah, yeah, we listen to you. He goes, okay. And he looks at me and says, Tell these guys who gave you your name. <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, it was you. <laughs> because nobody would believe him, apparently. Yeah, no. So here was his proof. But, That's amazing. Um, so I did that. And, uh, and then I was also uh, off air. I, I was uh, a music director, assistant program director. I later became a program director. Um, I was recruited from Phoenix to Sacramento to work for CBS and program a station there with Howard Stern in the morning. Then you remember when Howard left broadcast radio and went to a Sirius XM. Um, I knew my station was in trouble because the station was actually called Howard 93.7. Oh. Aimed the station after him. Our call letters were KHWD. So I knew we were screwed then. And of course they did flip the format and ended my job there. And I, uh, went back to Phoenix, did radio again for a few years. In the course of that time, um, I'd worked with uh, or dealt with Mark, the owner of Uncle Promo, mm -hmm. and uh, because he was working me on records. And I always liked the way he did business. I liked his business model. And um, at one point, the time came, and I had mentioned to him I'd be interested in switching sides or as we used to call it on the radio side, radio record record reps are on the dark side, you know. Yeah, to the record the record slime. Those guys, the sleaze weasels on record labels, they're they're the dark side. So I went to the dark side, and uh, eventually he had a, a position for me, and uh, I started working there. And um, it's funny, I still think of myself as a radio guy doing promo, but I have worked for uncle almost as long as I did radio full-time at this point, which is crazy. And I still do radio part-time. Uh, there's a community station here in Morro Bay and I use volunteer there cause I miss it. And, um, so it's fun. Yeah. Still. 
first. But uh, yeah, so um, anyway, Uncle Promo, we uh, specialize in the alternative format. Uh, under that umbrella, we have two divisions, the specialty division, which is what I handle, which is me dealing with specialty show hosts, where uh, alt stations will have a show that's maybe once a week or a special feature that happens maybe you know at night, um, where they spotlight new music and break new music that way. And, and then the uh, other division is the full commercial division that Mark handles, which is where we transition from me talking to hosts about playing music on their show to Mark talking to program directors about putting songs into regular rotation around the clock. Okay. And so that's sort of the nutshell of uh, how uh, our business model is built. I mean, there are companies that do both those things separately, but it almost it's almost like starting all over again. So if you warm up a band at specialty and you've run the course with that company, and then they say, well, here's what we did. Here's your report. See ya. And then you want to move on to a full commercial campaign. You have to kind of find another company and it's almost like starting all over. With us, it can be a seamless kind of smooth transition if the artist chooses to do that. And then you working in radio for that long had to have helped. And you were talking a bit before, like you were already doing some promo within those radio stations. Like yeah. were those skills, like did they transfer over to what you're doing now at Uncle or is it totally different? Um, in some regard, yeah. Yeah. And I think um, it's also good to have worked in radio and then do promo because you know what it's like to be on the receiving end of, uh, of this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I and now I also learned I also learned what it's like to be on the promo side of it, which is even more brutal, because um, people at radio stations make it very difficult to get a hold of them, and yeah. and and they're very uh, wishy washy about giving you uh, an answer to things. And I after doing this for a while, I thought to myself, man, I hope when I was at a station, I wasn't this much of an asshole. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, it's tough to pin people down at radio and I don't blame them because they get, you know, back when we were mailing physical CDs, they would, you know, get a pile of CDs dumped on their desk every day. And now mm -hmm. their inboxes, uh, on their email or however they receive digital delivery is piled up just as badly. Um, yeah. so it takes a lot. And that's where an artist needs a company like uncle because how does a programmer know where to even start in that pile of music? To start they're not going to go out and search for you because they already have too many people trying to reach them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, right. So it, it, uh, an artist can go ahead and, and send music out cold call to radio stations all day long, and there's a majority of the it's a major major chance that they're not ever even going to be listened to mm -hmm. just yeah. thrown in that box just going to be lost in the shuffle yeah you yeah. need a, a you need a team that's going to follow up and uh and badger those people enough to take the time to find your music and then listen to it and i know some people listening right now are probably thinking to themselves like no one really listens to radio anymore i don't listen to radio like why is it important for like so to you, why is radio promo still important and why is radio still like an important medium in regards to music? Yeah, people like to say radio's dead, but um, you, you can easily find the metrics that'll show you 
one spin on the radio hits more ears than any single platform digitally. Um, it's called broadcasting for that reason. Whereas on the digital platforms, it's far more niche casting, right? It's, you know, it's easy when you consume your entertainment online to find the platforms you like, and those are the ones you stick to, right? And you tend yeah. to stick, you tend to pick the platforms that only cater to what you already like and your algorithm has shown them. And then the more they develop your algorithm, the tighter and narrower their um, their yeah. funnel of, of entertainment to you becomes. Yeah. Because they want you to stick around as long as possible. So they're going to just keep giving you stuff that sounds the same or follows in a certain sound code and fits your metrics. And um, so it's tough to discover new entertainment, new music online, unless you're diligent about it and you mm -hmm. chase it different ways. Out. Yeah. Cause once, once the platform you use starts developing its algorithm on you, it just gets narrower and narrower. Yeah. Um, and that's their goal. Their goal is to keep you around as long as possible. Like radio too. I'm not trying to say, uh, you know, broadcast radio doesn't do that, but, um, it still hits more people in, at one time than all the different platforms singularly. You can also, you know, aggregate all those platforms and then show, look at the millions of streams. But, mm -hmm. but not, not all at once from one source like radio. Um, I also feel like radio has a lot of adapting to do. Um, but, you know, years and years ago, people said in the television industry, cable was going to kill broadcast television. Networks were going to crumble. It was going to be over. Um, I don't know anybody who puts an antenna on their house anymore to get TV, but, but those networks didn't die. They just transitioned to be on cable. Mm -hmm. um, radio has to be, I think, more aggressive in doing that as well. Um, if Everything is going to be streaming soon on every regard. I mean, even TV is dealing now with, you know, that yeah. you know, cable TV up. thought it was the winner. Then cable TV had to go up against satellite TV. Now cable and satellite TV have to go after or up against streaming television. Um, mm. Same for radio. Uh, those established radio stations need to make that transition more aggressively where you can find them on your phone or you can find them on your smart dash in your car or your connected car or whatever. And they yeah. can't rely, they can't rely completely on just their signal, their broadcast signal. And I feel like they've been dragging their feet on that. Um, until the last couple of years, I know iHeart is making a big push forward and, and so is CBS, but those are the big guys. Um, and the thing is, it's a missed opportunity because um, because there are so many platforms, right? How does the consumer find the one that's best suited for them? How do you find that? You know, in, in the world of just radio back 50 years or even 25 years, um, if you lived in a town, you're, you know, you probably had two or three rock stations to choose from and maybe total... 40 radio stations in a city, depending on how big it was. 40 sounds like a lot. 
Well, now you can go online and you have 40,000 choices of platforms to find. How do you find the one that serves you best? Um, mm -hmm. And so I've always felt that established radio stations are situated in the best position to market themselves to a, a, the digital audience, right? If you happen to be a fan of a certain radio station as you were growing up, but now you've gotten to a point where you consume your entertainment digitally, that radio station, if that radio station said, hey, look, we're available online, that'd be the one you'd go to. I think that's a good point. And I also think like um, event, like live event organizers recognize that and they're going to be taking, you know, most of those people for those live events from like what's being played on these radio stations, not like them individually searching through streaming platforms to choose, you know? Right, right. Nobody wants to do that legwork themselves. They want to use established sources that they can count on and then leverage, leverage yeah. that. Yeah. And wrapping up here, I guess, um, What's like a piece of advice you would give to a musician or someone who's not a musician who's trying to break into the music industry? Not a musician. Um, uh, think um, think uh, diversified. You know, um, my kid in high school, uh, one of his friends wanted to be uh, wanted to go into radio. So he did like uh, a sit-in with me at, at the studio while I did my show one day and um, different things like that. And he was looking for a school, college to go to, to major in radio. And I encouraged him emphatically to broaden that. You know, if this is the sort of thing you want to go into, go into, um, you know, media communications, be a communication major. Don't be a broadcast major or a radio major. Um because there's, you need more options. You need to be valuable more ways than one. Um, we even in radio, we used to talk about the you know the big radio air personality who, uh, who did uh, his workday was four and hit the door, right? He'd walk in, do his four hour shift, and walk right out. That was it, job done. Uh, those days certainly over. You have to be able to wear a lot of hats at a radio station to be valuable to that station, not just mm -hmm. the four hours of what you create on the air uh, and so i would say to anybody who wants to get into this entertainment industry um be as well diversified as you possibly can and bring expertise on a lot of different levels doesn't mean yeah. make I mean, you mean it's certainly more difficult but um, that's what your competition's doing so mm -hmm. everything can do more and um and then also uh going back to that uh um, panel discussion we had a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. One of the guys pointed out uh, something that I learned firsthand myself going through all these stages is uh, remember that no job's too small when you're starting out. Take the gig, take the dirty job no one else wants to take. The established guys are going to pass on things that don't pay a talent fee or don't have uh, an immediate payoff or return to them. Oh, sorry, you cut out there for a sec. Can okay. you repeat yeah, I said the uh, the big guys uh, who are established at a, a company or a station or whatever are going to pass on the things that don't immediately serve them, whether there's a lack of a talent fee or a, some percentage point or whatever, they're going to bail out mm -hmm. on it. Uh, be the guy who takes that and does it. And um, 
in a radio setting. I did that when I was starting out in my first commercial radio job. I was at every, you know, every uh, gas station broadcast handing out bumper stickers. I hosted movie premieres. I went to any place the station wanted to be and there was no talent fee because the big guys wouldn't do it. I'd do it. And consequently, it didn't take long for me in ratings uh, information coming back that I was seen as the, the next most recognizable and popular air personality at that radio station behind the morning show. And I was only on weekends. Mm -hmm. um, that's just from taking all those extra gigs. I, it, people started to associate me as the face of the radio station because I took every piddly little job that the station needed done and I did it. So um, apply that to radio, apply that to marketing, apply that to promo and media or whatever. Um, if you're the new guy, uh, be willing to take every job that the established guys won't take and, uh, and you will start to prove your worth and you're going to learn a truckload and you'll have experience that you'll be able to parlay into, you know, future uh, endeavors. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. It's easy to, it's easy to say something's not worth it and turn your back on it, but you never know uh, how that might happen. Yeah. Yeah. The butterfly effect, I guess. Well, thank you so much, Dead Air yeah, Dave. Absolutely. This is us thank you for listening. Um, yeah, thanks so much for talking. Yeah, and remember, in self-promoting, uh, you can go to centralcoastradio.org. That's centralcoastradio.org, and we have an archive there. You can look for my uh, show, uh, Dead Air Dave Time, uh, in the archives, or you can stream me live Wednesdays at 1 p.m., Fridays at 10 a.m., and Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. on 97.3 and 107.9 The Rock, streaming centralcoastradio.org. Bing. That was too <laughs> All right, Thanks Nico. So Thanks, man. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. See ya. <laughs>